everybody, this is Mark. Welcome back to another episode of This Poor Pastor's Podcast. I'm cranking them out here, trying to make up for all the times that I was absent. I was out doing um, errands today because our internet went down at both my office and my house, which are not in the same place. So I was like, I'm going to go do some errands. And as I was out doing errands, I was just thinking about some things that have recently come up, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Yes. I want to talk to you about the a little bit about the attributes of God. Don't go to sleep on me. I want to talk to you about the difference or the comparison that people make between the holiness of God and the love of God. Because I've been talking a lot about the love of God lately, but I've also been listening to some sermons and thinking, I think this needs to be addressed some more. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to talk about that, the holiness of God and the love of God. We're going to talk a little bit about natural attributes versus those who uh, that are uh, intrinsic attributes and so on and so forth. A little bit of this, a little bit of that on this Wednesday on a special episode of this Poor Pastors podcast. I hope you'll stick with me. We'll get started here in just a minute. Okay, so we're going to talk a little bit about this topic, and I love the discussion about the attributes of God, which is not a discussion that we're going to go into in detail here on this episode. Uh, I'm just going to talk kind of kind of plain with you, but uh, the, the subject of the attributes of God is important. I actually hold to a position about the attributes of God and because I believe that everything God does streams from his decision to love. His holiness streams from his decision to love. His mercy streams from his decision to love. Everything streams from God's decision to, uh, to love. Um, and it is a decision. A lot of times you'll hear pastors talk about the attributes of God as if they are metaphysical attributes. They're just part of what God is. And, and I think we often fail to make a distinction between what God is metaphysically as part of his being versus the actions, the moral attributes of God, the choices that he makes. And yes, I believe God makes choices. And I believe one of those choices that God makes is to love uh, and also to be holy. That is a, uh, those are moral attributes. Although some people disagree, that's okay. But here's the thing, like God is eternal. Um, God, that is one of God's metaphysical um, attributes. God is spirit. That is a metaphysical attribute. He, that is not something he chooses. It's part of his, of his being. Um, God's power would be a metaphysical uh, attribute where he is, he is powerful. How he chooses to use that power, that power is, is determined by some of his um, moral attributes. But naturally, God is, God is powerful. God's knowledge is a, um, is a natural attribute. God knows what God knows. And so, uh, and again, that's not getting into a discussion about knowledge, the foreknowledge of God, the extent of God's knowledge or any such thing as that. It's just that God knows what he, what he knows. Those are natural attributes in the same way that for example, my eyes are hazel. I didn't choose those attributes. I didn't choose to have hazel eyes. I just, I have hazel eyes as a natural part of who I am. It's 
my makeup, okay? Um, and, and, and there are other things, my curly hair, um, the, you know, the fact that I have five fingers on each hand, you know, and, and, you know, and most of us do, except for that guy in the Princess Bride with six, but very few people are like that. And a few people with six fingers and six toes in, in the Old Testament. But other than that, we have, as a natural attribute, we have five fingers and so on and so forth. Here's the thing. Nobody gets praised for their natural attributes or like, or, or actually we, we rarely praise people for their natural attributes. I am grateful to God for, for the physical beauty of my wife. And I'm, I, and I tell her you are beautiful and I'm grateful for that. Um, but mostly, mostly we don't praise people. It'd be like running up to somebody and saying, thank you for having blue eyes. Uh, we, we wouldn't do that. We can say your blue, your blue, <laughs> Your blue eyes are beautiful, but we don't praise them as if it's somehow praiseworthy. In the Bible, we are told to praise the Lord and a verse that might go something like this. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. Praising the Lord because he's faithful. Praising the Lord because he's merciful. Praising the Lord because he's righteous and all of these things. Praising the Lord because he loves. We love him because he first loved us. And so on and so forth. Those are those are moral attributes of God. The things that we choose to do are either praiseworthy or worthy of condemnation. God chooses to do good, and He is worthy of our praise for His moral attributes, the things that He chooses to do. Holiness is one of those things. Holiness is a choice that God makes. It is a choice that God makes that I think springs from his love. Now, hold on with me. I'm going to get to where the rest of us live here in a minute. Holiness springs from God's love, which I think is the thing that out of which all of God's other uh, moral attributes uh, spring from. Um, but again, that's a whole other topic for a whole other discussion. But here's why I say it's not a metaphysical or a natural attribute of God, because we are told both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament that we are to be holy as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. And so because he has said, be holy for I am holy. So it wouldn't be an accurate comparison for God to say, I am intrinsically, naturally, metaphysically holy. I'm not choosing to be. It's what I am by my very nature. And so I want you to choose to behave in a way that is what I, may, I am without choosing. No, for God to say, be holy in the same way that I am holy, it is to say, make the choices to live in this way as I make the choice to live in this way. Now, some are going to disagree with me on that. That's fine. I don't have time to get into a long discussion about the metaphysical attributes of God versus the moral attributes of God. But understand this, the vast majority of the preaching that I have grown up hearing made no distinction between the choice of God to be to live in a certain way versus just the fact that God was all of these things and so we should attempt to to as Christians to be all of these all of these things um, and because we, we we say well again I, I could spend a whole podcast talking about it but I just I, w I won't be able to get to what I'm trying to get to I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about the love of God, and the love of God is of primary importance. 
love is the very thing that Jesus said would be the fruit that would identify us to everyone else as followers of Jesus Christ. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. The two greatest commandments in the law are love God and love your neighbor. Uh, God says, as I have loved you, uh, you love other people. Again, if that's not a choice that God is making, then upon what basis of comparison is he using the word as? You know, it'd be it'd be like God is saying, um, you need to have blue eyes the way I have blue eyes. And I'd be like, but I don't have blue eyes. And so God says, well, then you need to choose to go have your eyes altered to be blue so that they can so that you can have blue eyes like I have blue eyes. But then my blue eyes wouldn't be like your blue eyes. Your blue eyes are are naturally what you have. And I would be altering my eyes. And so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be a comparison I, again. So I keep going to get drawn into that. In the last few weeks, I have heard three pastors from three different areas of the country. As far as I know, they don't even know each other. Talking about the issue of God's holiness versus the issue of God's love. And the statements have gone something like this. Yes, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. He's also a holy God, and holiness means God can have nothing to do with sin and sinners, and we cannot sacrifice the holiness of God to elevate his love. Here's a problem. God seems to do that exact thing in Scripture. Not that he sacrifices his holiness, but holiness is not the, prime, the premier attribute God chooses to push to the, for, to the forefront when it says, when it talks about his actions, the attribute he chooses to push to the forefront is that of love. Now, again, this idea of the holiness of God being the most important thing springs from uh, medieval theology, uh, reformed theology, it, the, the pure tyrannical uh, methodologies and ideologies that existed that were intended to tell people you're nothing but a wretch and a worm and a vile, a vile person. And yes, God is love, but but in the same these people who say to you, yes, God is love, but he is also holy. We cannot sacrifice his holiness for the sake of his love, and God won't do that either, are in actuality sacrificing the love of God for an idea of the holiness of God, which I do not think is found in Scripture. When most people talk about the holiness of God, when many pastors talk about the holiness of God, they talk about it in a metaphysical way as if God is somehow this thing which is holy. And when you think holy, you should think black clothes, somber face, um, no fun at parties, that kind of God. And so don't forget for a minute that God is holy. It's the old bearded uh, uh, sour push in the sky. And yes, the Bible talks about joy in the presence of God. And yes, the Bible talks about life abundantly. And yes, the Bible talks about God loving us so much that he did these things. But don't pay too much attention to all of that vast amount of scripture. You just focus on what we tell you holiness means. And holiness means that when you come to God and you come to Jesus Christ for salvation, that you should remember who you are, you worm. And you should just be depressed all the time. 
It's amazing to me as I'm watching people people do this. And because the Bible says that God is love and that God is loving, that God chooses to love and he delights in bringing joy and, and meaning into our life. When Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly, what he actually meant was, I am come to suck the life out of the room, to rob them of their joy and to put them in a state of perpetual reminder that they are nothing but a worm and I am holy God. And so, yes, God loves you, but God's holiness is more important. And so, as one pastor said this week, that's the reason God sends people to hell. He sends people to hell because he's holy. And yes, he's a God of love, but his holiness comes first. No, it was the love of God that motivated him to send Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. It was the love of God that attempted to reconcile men to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, God is holy. God is very holy. But what does that mean? I, I challenge you to poll, your, uh, to poll your congregation this week and ask them or to poll your friends. Hey, explain holiness to me. What is holiness? Because when the average person hears the word holiness, they think of someone that they would not want to spend the weekend with locked in a cabin. They think of someone that they wouldn't want to take a road trip with. They think of someone that is no fun at all to be around. But loved ones, that is not the personality of God. God says, listen, in my presence is joy forevermore. Yes, there's a need for repentance from sin. All that, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. The point is that once you come to Christ, he gives you joy. He loves us. The holiness of God was not intended to separate God from man. God is a holy God, and he found ways so that, so that unholy men could come into his presence because he delighted to be there. And he wasn't thundering and lightnings and like, I'm going to kill you because I'm holy and you'll never live up to that expectation. God's like, I love you. Now, let me teach you how to be like me. Let me teach you how to live in a holy way. Let me teach you how to be separate. Holiness just means consecrated and set apart. It's different than the rest. God is holy in that he is unlike any other false god that exists. God is holy in that he is not touched with the sin that, that infects us. But God is not, as people say, because of God's holiness, he can't even look at sin. What kind of nonsense is that, by the way? God can't even look at our sin. In. And I know you have that one verse in scripture that, that you think proves that, but it doesn't. How in the world can God judge sin? How in the world can God even know that we're sinners? How in the world could Jesus Christ, who was God, come in the flesh and be around sinners, a, friends of, a friend of publicans and sinners? Like, what did Jesus do? Walk around with his eyes closed, bumping into walls all the time because he's like had this internal God alert, like, what, what, what? Sinners don't look because I'm holy and I can't look at sin, not a, not a bit. He understood that we were fallen and he came and he loved us. God saw that the wickedness of man was great in Genesis 6. How the heck did he do that? If he's so holy, he can't look at sin. Now, come on, get over this stuff. I know one pastor here locally who, who has fallen in love with the Puritans. I'm preaching this week 
a sermon up for Easter entitled, Why Seek Ye the Living Among the Dead? I literally want to ask these guys that. You guys have fallen in love with a bunch of dead guys' writings. Okay? Uh, puritanical. I call them puritanical. Purityrannical is more like it. And I watch you guys read these books and you go from being guys that are fairly fun to be around to being these somber, I mean, judgmental, um, lifeless individuals. And you start talking like the Puritans and we start praying, God is the one. His holiness is so great and so magnificent. And we must fall at our feet, at our, at our knees, at the feet of an almighty God. It's like, I mean, guys, just every once in a while, get out of your study and go talk to a real person. Because if you talk to people like that outside of the pulpit, no wonder you don't have any friends, okay? I'm just saying, I mean, that is not Jesus. He did not walk around talking like that. The Puritans, I love it. I see guys, make America, one guy has a, has a hat that says, make American Puritan again. Are you serious? Dude, you have a Christmas tree in your house and your wife wears pants. The Puritans wouldn't have wanted anything to do with you. <laughs> Who cares what the Puritans thought? I couldn't care less. All I know is they walked around, they walked around moping all the time, questioning, by the way, if you read their writings, questioning whether or not they even were saved, always in depression. Even John Bunyan struggling with his salvation for his entire life. I know you'll love him because he wrote the Calvinistic book, A Pilgrim's Progress. But come on, the dude was not a lot of fun to be around. And Jesus was the life of the party. I don't, I will just say that out loud. I don't care what you think about me. I am so, so tired of people thinking that the holiness of God is the, and, and your version of the holiness of God is the premier attribute of God. God is love. Love chooses the, the best for the objects, the greatest good for the objects of his love. And God's desire is that we would love him and love each other to do, to do good to every man to edify them, to build them up. So please explain to me how the love of God justifies standing in our pulpits and telling people who have given their life to Christ that they should be constantly reminded about what a wretch and a worm they are rather than the joy that comes in knowing that you are in Christ. You're a new creature. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I mean, is, I mean, I, so that's, that's later on. That's, that's another time. Okay, so what, what changes? Tell me what changes. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord is what Jesus, well done thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's going to be a hard transition for people who have spent their entire lives um, not even aware that there's any joy of the Lord at all. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, God is so holy. God is so holy that you better have a good understanding of who you are, you wretch. No, God is so loving that he came to sinful people and said, I love you. And he spread his arms to show how much. And he died and he overcame death and he set them free. I am just at a loss to understand why there is this resurgence, even among young preachers, of this somber life-sucking preaching where you talk like it is the 1800s. Your language sounds like the 1800s. 
And you used to smile. You used to now all of your all of your posts are about this dead guy or that dead guy or another dead guy. <laughs> oh. I want people to come to my Sunday gatherings and the majority of the time leave with a smile on their face saying that was that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that. God's holiness does not supersede his love. The only reason you say that is because you have an, un, an inaccurate understanding of what holiness is and an inaccurate understanding of what love is. Love isn't just letting everybody do whatever they want to do. God doesn't do that. Neither do loving parents because that's not what love is. But God doesn't say, well, I do love to love people, but I can't really love that, those people because I'm holy. And so my holiness has to come before my love. Absolutely not. None of God's attributes are in competition with each other because all of them spring from his love. God chooses to love. And because he chooses to love, he chooses to be holy. Because holiness is the greatest good for him. To, be, to not be touched by sin in his person. To live and to, and to be different from the, from the you know, gods that are around him. And God calls us to be holy because holiness is for our good. But holiness is not soberness in the, in the sense of no fun, no joy, no excitement, no life. I mean, some of you, I mean, come on, guys. This, this, Non, this non-life life that you talk about, you know, Jesus, the very Jesus that you promote as being so holy is the one who said to know me is to have life. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly as in opposition to a thief that only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then you stand up and you preach this new life that is not life. It's kind of like you, 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 you reform guys is non-free free will, right? It's free will if you're choosing what you determine, but you never talk about how everything that our desires were determined as well. Or you're free if you choose what you desire. But who determined your desires? Well, God did. Well, then it's still not free. Non-free free will isn't free will. And non-life life isn't life. God came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Loved ones, if you are sitting and listening to somebody teach you that you need to walk around with your chin on the ground, just overwhelmed by the holiness and magnitude of God, I'm not mocking God. I'm mocking those men because they're not talking to you about the God of Scripture as revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. <laughs> not one bit. You got to ask yourself why it is that so many men today who should know better are acting more like the Pharisees in the New Testament than they are the apostles after the resurrection. The Pharisees were walking around talking about the holiness of God and the separation of God and Jesus like, dudes, get over yourself. I promise you this. I promise you this. I double dog promise you. Can you double dog promise? I do. I double dog promise you. God is a holy God. It's a choice that he makes to live in a way that sets him apart from all others, but not so that he can look down our noses at it. 
I rejoice that God is holy he, and he knows what is best, but he also, his holiness is because of his love and his love sent his son to die. His love sent his son to set us free. His love desires relationship. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Man, we love him because he loved us. Easy, Mark. You'll minimize the holiness of God. Not at all. I just reject your caricature of it. <laughs> oh, this Sunday is Easter Sunday. Go and revel in the life that is in Jesus Christ. Rejoice in the new life now that is a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And we also, because Christ and the Spirit of Christ lives in us, ought to walk in newness of life. And it should look totally different than the life we lived under the bondage of sin, death, and the devil. Put a smile on your face. Thank God for his holiness, which springs from his love. And go suck all the joy you can into, out of life, out of, don't suck the life out of it, infuse life into it. I'm saying the wrong things. I've been listening to too many puritanicals preaching. I love you guys. Hey, I hope that you'll consider what I say and have a great Easter weekend. God bless you. We'll talk next time.